Greetings, Maltopians. Are you looking to delve deeper into the world of Maltopia? Then check out our Patreon, where you can find written mythos pieces, world maps, found footage, art, Patreon-exclusive shows, and more. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia and join one of our tiers for access to great new content. Brave the forbidden and embrace the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wesley's eyes opened, a tan canvas roof and the aroma of burnt candles greeting him. He was barely able to sit up, 
his bones still clinging to sleep. While he didn't exactly recognize where he was, the decor struck of a particular kind of pretense he'd seen before. There was an ancient-looking trunk at the end of the bed, and an Art Nouveau-styled armoire standing in the corner, no doubt concealing a myriad of Victorian clothing. He swung his legs over the edge of the bed and rested his face in his palm. His head throbbed. He searched an inside pocket for his aspirin, but found only lint in a crumpled-up receipt from God knows how long ago. He got up and leaned on the large vanity in front of him, staring into his reflection. It seemed like the ebon flourish of his hair had waned, with streaks of white creeping across his scalp. His brown eyes seemed black, their pigment almost careening into the void at their center. However, it was his face that concerned him. Last he saw it, it bore only a thin layer of stubble. Now it expressed the beginnings of a full beard, curled and unkempt. How long had he been out? How had it even happened? We oughta gut that fucking charlatan. Splay him out red and raw. Let the insects eat him. The voice screamed. Wesley shook his head, as if it might jar the voice loose, cause it to come tumbling out from his ears. But of course, you won't do anything, you spineless shit. It's no wonder your family's dead. Do you ever wonder if you even tried to save them? Or did you just stand there and shiver, piss your pants while that thing strung them up and made their hollow little shells dance about? Wesley tried to ignore the heckles, parting the canvas partition to his left and entering the tent's main area. He recognized the place, of course. It was where Moffat had shown him that awful shadow puppet show, though the man and his lamp were suspiciously absent. Wesley walked outside the tent, looking for his ungracious host. Nothing. Just remnants of a fire that had gone out long ago, its last exhales wafting into the air. He hastily returned to the tent, rummaging through the drawers of Moffat's desk, searching for any clue as to the man's whereabouts. Again, nothing. Puzzled, Wesley took a seat in a neighboring chair, staring blankly at the canvas wall. It reminded him of the shadow puppet show that once danced across it. There was something about it that disturbed him, like reality had become malleable, soft clay he could reach out and grab, mold. He still wasn't sure how the man had done it, but he was certain it was just a bit of chicanery, some kind of parlor trick he used to convince people there was more to him than a funny suit. The voice suddenly chimed in. Old dogs, new tricks, little Wesley. You're still clinging to that old world again, despite it tumbling off the edge right behind you. I can't blame you, really. Terrible things watch from the other side, their wills slowly pressing in, the wall between fading. As for what our new friend showed us, I'll let you in on a little secret. It was real. No tricks. But do you even know what you were looking at? Do you even understand what that twig of a man showed you? Let me guess. You know? Wesley answered. The voice chuckled. Oh, yes. I know. Oh, and, uh, what, pray tell, was it? My lips are sealed, the voice said. But I can't wait for you to find out.
Vorn and Riva rushed about their tent, stuffing only the essentials into their burgeoning backpacks. They'd only just arrived a few days ago, and in that time they subdued a stranger for unknown reasons, endured dagger stares from their supposed colleagues, and, most recently, had an ominous conversation with a Moffat. The latter of those events was never to be taken lightly. The Moffat had not explicitly stated what was to happen, of course. They abhorred transparency. Instead, he'd offered only breadcrumbs, a trail of vague statements to see if whoever was listening was clever enough to follow. Riva stopped packing and signed at Vorin. Yes, Riva, I'm sure of it. You heard what he said. Riva's hands became a blur. Thinking out loud? Are you mad? You've heard the stories. Remember the one about Elias Dunkirk? The archivist at the Mistoric Library who was hanged for treason? One of the witnesses had a conversation with Dunkirk and Moffat. He stated the Moffat barely said a word, just stood there, smiling, tying a string from a set of blinds into a tiny noose. That was a month before anyone even knew Dunkirk was a traitor. Riva responded, his hands and fingers a whirl of motion. So what if it was a Kerwin? Kerwin, Moffat, they're practically the same despite the fact that they despise one another. Riva shook his head and continued to pack. Vorin realized his actions might seem like an overreaction, borderline paranoia. But the Moffat's prognostic abilities were unparalleled, except for the Kerwins, of course. And they were quite fond of boasting that fact, especially to those who would become the butt of their prophetic joke. No one really knew much about them, only that they were soothsayers of the highest order, casting the future from their strange lanterns in shapes of shadow and light. Some believed they were born from the very flames of their accursed lamps, while others claimed they were the ancient and secret children of the Oracle of Delphi. He imagined neither of those were correct, though. Still, their mystery put him at a disadvantage. Their intentions were as shadowy as their portents. Cyrus was the first Moffat Vorin had ever met personally, but from what he could tell, the man was every bit as sly as the rumors indicated. He was reticent, yet, at the same time, chatty, a master at speaking aloud while saying nothing at all. But sprinkled within all those hollow words was a density, only a sentence or two long, designed to weigh on the listener. It was just such a collection of words that had prompted he and Riva's current activities. Coming from anyone else, it would have been idle chatter, words to pass the time. But when the Moffat pondered aloud what it might be like if the military just disappeared, the statement hung precariously in the air, like a picture dangling from a loose nail. There was also an air of self-satisfaction to the man's words, the type of rhetorical question a teacher might proffer, only to demonstrate they knew the answer all along. It was this, paired with Moffat's strange request to subdue a certain stranger, who he had since discovered was a world-renowned biologist, that piqued his suspicion. Normally, Vorn would have never condoned such an action, but they couldn't afford to make enemies with a lantern-toting prophet so early in the game, so he had allowed it. The seer played coy, of course, upon any inquiry regarding the sleeping man, simply saying that letting him go would have disrupted the natural flow of things. It was that very flow of things that now had them stuffing sleeping bags, food, and canteens into backpacks.
It was getting stuffy inside the tent, so Voren took a moment to step outside. He almost didn't notice the thunder anymore. It was so frequent that it had become little more than background noise to him. The patter of the rain was similar, its song playing constantly on the canvas ceiling of his tent. The mists reminded him of the sea, the fog rolling like turbulent waves of water, smothering the lands they crashed upon. He wondered if at all, the mists, the rains, the thunder, were simply meteorological or something of a deeper ontology. Its desolation was like staring at a face, the storms, the gloom, its features. And while he couldn't quite make out why, he had a feeling they all conspired into a great, wide grin. The place seemed poised, its relative calm just coiled contemplation, plans ready to hatch and spring at any moment. Riva emerged from the tent and stood behind him, signing. <sighs> Nothing in particular. Just... Wandering into the ether, I suppose. Vorn answered. They stared out into the murk, their eyes like clawing rats, burrowing into the thick walls of vapor that crept across the landscape. After a few minutes, their starving eyes found sustenance. They saw it at the same time, moving slowly through an encroaching bank of fog. It had to be a couple hundred yards or so out, but there was definitely something moving in the mists. After a few moments... The shape cohered into a definitive silhouette, human in both shape and motion. The glimpse was brief, however, as it quickly disappeared beneath a tide of haze. The image was strange, unnatural, despite its conventional symmetries. It moved with too much familiarity, as if the roiling smog was its consort, or at least a welcome guest. The two men exchanged a glance and quickly grabbed their bags. Wesley entered the Gilbert Lab tent, dripping with the most recent rainfall. The familiar sounds of science instantly put him at ease, summoning the soft memories of a better, more sane time. The place was a labyrinth of expensive equipment, corridors fashioned from shoulder-high hard drives, sanitized workstations, and fume hoods. He traveled through the maze until the room opened up, a large oval table taking up its center. Around it stood a congregation of white-coated scientists, no doubt worshipping whatever new phenomenon or specimen they had discovered. He searched the crowd until he found the face he was looking for and proceeded to wade through the gathered numbers. By the time he reached the table, the man he was looking for, like the rest of the group, stood facing a large screen monitor, entranced. Wesley couldn't blame them. The display was a video recording of a recent expedition, presumably. The screen was alive with all sorts of exotic foliage he didn't recognize. Finally, the camera zoomed in on a vague shape in a nearby tree, which, upon focusing, became a strange creature, a cross between a dragonfly and a praying manis. Its abdomen was long and dark, the thing's forewings and hindwings rapidly buzzing atop its thorax. However, the front of the squirrel-sized insect's body rose up from a pair of spiky forelegs scythe-like appendages adorning each side, giving it the menacing look of a mantid. The thing flew from branch to branch with quicksilver speed, a blur of purples and blues shooting between the sprigs, eventually landing on the back of a small mouse. Along with a room full of researchers, the rodent screeched as the predatory insect hooked its bladed arms between its shoulders, holding it in place. 
Then, from the mandibled face of the wicked bug, a long and sharp proboscis darted out, puncturing the back of the animal's neck. The poor thing remained alive as the alien insect slowly drained its meal, the camera eventually shifting away. When the room dispersed, a small hunched man remained. He stood over a thick folder on the table, looking down at it over a tiny pair of spectacles that hung from the edge of his nose. Wesley approached the old man. Wild stuff, isn't it, Frank? Dr. Frank Gilbert looked up and squinted at him for a moment. Then, a smile crossed his wrinkled face. Wesley Morgan, my God, it's been ages. About uh, 20 years, give or take, Wesley responded. He put his hand out, but Dr. Gilbert ignored it, hugging him instead. Wesley couldn't help but feel the frailty of the man. The past 20 years had sucked so much life out of him, it seemed, leaving a tiny old man in the stead of the robust, energetic colleague he had once known. Still, he was glad to see him, and a welcome warmth entered his body upon the man's embrace. Wesley couldn't think of the last time he'd even been touched by another human being, but it felt good, regardless of its transience. I heard you signed up for this little expedition. I was planning on looking for you when I got a moment, but, uh, <laughs> as you can see... Dr. Gilbert spread his arms wide, gesturing to the activity around him. Wesley chuckled. <laughs> You're the best microbiologist around, Frank. It's not a surprise they got you heading up a big part of this thing. Still, it's gotta be hectic running all this. Eh, I delegate mostly. I got my head postdoc running the day-to-day. -day. Uh, he's an arrogant little shit, but he knows how to run a tight ship. I'm mostly just here to inspire, I suppose. My main role in all this is bureaucratic, to be honest. Me and the rest of the scientific community trying to convince the UN why this place is important. So much goddamn superstition, you know? Who knows the scientific value of this place and the world's just been content to leave it alone. Although I do have my suspicions, this isn't the first time the US military has been over here. Anyway, enough about me. How's, how's Laura and little Cassie doing? Wesley looked down the awkwardness of the question making eye contact difficult. Uh, after 99, they... Dr. Gilbert's face went slack, and he quickly offered his apologies. Oh, oh, Wes, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear. An awkward silence hung between the two men. Wesley finally spoke up, finding it as good a time as any to ask the question behind his visit. Uh, Frank... Do you know anything about this Cyrus Moffat guy? You know, he's, he's located just a bit east of your outfit here. Ah, yes, the, the Renfest guy. The men laughed, dissipating the mood of the previous conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Uh, do you know anything about him? Where he's from? What he's doing here? I know a bunch of dark scholars were contracted from Salence, Mistoric, and Raveland Universities. <laughs> For whatever that's worth. Bunch of eccentrics, if you ask me. But, uh, I don't think he's from any university. I, I asked the captain one day who he was, and he just laughed and said he was an independent contractor. You know, strange thing is, the, the only person I've seen the man speak to is General McKimmy, who I've seen visiting his tent a couple times. Hmm, that is strange. 
Have you seen him? Uh, have you seen him carrying anything like a like a lantern? That weirdo doesn't go anywhere without it, even when the sun is out. As rare as that is around here. You ever seen him use it? Has he ever? Uh, I don't know. Showed you anything? No, he he just totes it about his waist most of the time. You know, I really just think he's here to appease those goddamn new Wiccan groups, or whatever they're called. After the Kettleston New Witch Trials back in 2002, the government has been doing everything it can to placate those yahoos. Not that I think those people deserve to die, of course, but they they don't have any place where serious science is being conducted, if you ask me. Wesley remembered when he used to think the same way when he used to chastise any alternative interpretation of the great darkness beyond the dark sun theory. Now, much to his chagrin, he'd been forced to see the limitations of science, see where its horizons fell short, gaping chasms between it and the vistas it was so inclined to grasp. Dr. Gilbert's prejudice was just a reflection of the growing animosity between the scientific and religious communities, a conflict that had grown tenacious, even violent, after the great darkness of 1999. Now, bigotry was often at the core of their disagreements rather than ideology, each group often calling for the oppression of the other. What's with the interest, anyway? Did you have a run-in with them or something? Dr. Gilbert inquired. No, uh, no, just, just curious is all. Wesley lied. As Wesley's eyes settled on the desk in front of him, he noticed the doctor's calendar book. While he couldn't read the man's illegible handwriting, he could make out the date printed on its header. It read June 23rd. Wesley let out an audible gasp, one loud enough for Dr. Gilbert to take notice. Are you alright, Wes? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I've gotta go, Frank. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Wesley rushed back through the coiling, makeshift hallways and out of the tent. It was pouring, but he didn't notice. His heart pounded, and his mind rushed for an explanation. How could it be the 23rd? Last he remembered, in Moffat's tent, it was only the 20th. How could three days have passed? He plodded through the mud, trying to remember what had happened, trying to plunder the moments, days, his unconscious had pilfered from waking memory. It was only when a thick plume of fog encroached and the rain had suddenly stopped that Wesley was pried from the chambers of his skull. A strange silence wafted in the wind, a palpable hush that bypassed his ears and whispered dread into the black spaces of his mind. He began to shake. He listened for any sounds, thunder, rain, the ambience of talking soldiers, but there were none. There was only dead air, and a slight breeze that slowly shifted, transforming the cold feeling upon his skin to a cogent and familiar voice, one he had heard only days before, in the murk of a strange, dead forest. Hey everyone, Steve here. Mark Walker and I wanted to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia podcast, and we wanted to take a moment to tell you about our other projects that provide you with exclusive content and behind-the-scenes bonus videos. How would you like early access to every podcast episode and creator videos that go into detail about your favorite stories? 
For free samples of what our Patreon has to offer, check out patreon.com slash Maltopia and scroll through our public content. Is The Shepherd of Wolves your favorite series? Now you can listen to our award-winning audiobook adaptation, The Red Sun, free with your 30-day trial to Audible. For animated YouTube narrations, original artwork, and more, check out our website at maltopia.com. You can also tweet us on Twitter and join the fun on our Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, we love nothing more than hearing feedback from you, so take a moment to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. Just a few seconds of your time makes all the difference, helping us reach more folks just like you who can join the Maltopia experience. With your support, we'll be able to offer even more of the content you love to listen to, watch, and read. Thanks again from the three of us. We can't do this without you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.